0: Everybody, we are back after a Christmas break off. Welcome to episode 24 of the MTG Grindcast, the spikiest podcast in all of Central North Carolina, with a special focus on the SCG Tour. Uh, We are your hosts. I'm Chris Kasserapple, and with me, as always, is Collins Mullen. Uh, How's it going, Collins? Happy New Year, bud.
1: Yeah, Happy New Year oh man it's uh, the holiday's been fun but it's kind of back to good to be back I guess yeah I feel
0: like I haven't played magic or talked about magic in, in like so long now it's been a <laughs> couple of weeks I guess but
1: oh it's been way too long the uh, <laughs> I I haven't I haven't played any tournaments in like two weeks and uh, I haven't talked about magic on the podcast in so long so you know um, yeah, crazy. I want to get back into it. I'm ready, and uh, we got some we got some interesting things here. We got some we got some spoilers coming out that we're kind of excited to talk about.
0: Yeah, yeah. So I think we'll start with those. So today we're gonna do spoilers. We're gonna talk a little bit about the SEG tour changes that uh, Cedric announced uh, in an article, and then we're gonna hit up modern a little bit because that's what's happening next week. But yeah, I, I think we'll start with those Rivals of Ixalan spoilers because there's some pretty pretty
1: spicy ones, I would say. Indeed. I mean, do we want to just jump right into it and start off with the one that I'm most excited about? Yeah, let's do it. Let's start with a bang. All right, so Merfolk Mistbinder is a 2-mana Merfolk Lord. Its casting cost is blue-green. You know, it's a 2-2 Merfolk, and it says, other Merfolk you control get plus one, plus one. So pretty much just a pretty classic Lord. It does not give Island Walk, which is kind of the one difference i guess it's not like you know one of the old blue blue lords that gives island walk yeah but still when it comes to modern implications i think that in the you know just in the last set we've got a one mana tutu merfolk which did a lot of good things for merfolk and merfolk branch walker which is kind of like a you know similar to silvergill adept in the sense that it just kind of like gives you a little extra gas if you need it and Immediately after Exelon pr- was printed or was released, we saw Murfolk blue green Murfolk specifically top eight two modern opens in a row, and now that we have another Lord to throw in that mix, right? Um, we're getting
0: we're getting up to like Slivers level of Lord numbers at this point, which is right. pretty solid.
1: Yeah, so I I'm excited. I think that this has pretty big implications for. Merfolk and Modern, which I think was kind of always like a Tier 2 deck. Even, I would say that even the green version was still a Tier 2 deck. Mm-hmm. But uh, now that we have a whole other Lord, yeah, I'm, I'm very excited to test it out. Yeah.
0: Well, and kind of the remarkable thing as well is now we have like 16 of the core cards in standard. We've got a 1-mana 2-2, two, two, Silvergirl, Adept, Murfolk Branchwalker, and 1 Lord.
1: Yeah, you don't really need a whole lot from there to just make a, you know, make a deck. But, I don't don't know, I think that, like, we'll we'll have to get a little more creative with something else in a standard iteration. Probably more three drops than anything else, which kind of gets to be an awkward point. But, I don't know, maybe something with uh, the enchantment that makes Hexproof 1-1 merfolk guys. The uh, the other new merfolk that we got, which is interesting, which I don't know will make the cut in Modern, but still seems pretty strong, is uh, the legendary creature, Kumena. Tyrant of Orozca? Yeah.
0: So this is a a 1, a green, a blue, for a 2-4, and it's got three activated abilities. that each involve tapping untapped merfolk you control. So you tap another untapped merfolk, and you make Kumena unblockable. Tap three untapped merfolk, and you get to draw a card. Tap five, tap Merfolk, which for anybody keeping score is a ton of Merfolk. But that's put a plus <laughs> put a plus one, plus one counter on each Merfolk you control, which is at least five Merfolk if you can activate this ability. Yeah. So.
1: And honestly, I can easily see a standard deck that is built to clog up the board quickly with Merfolk, probably get in some early big damage. And if that early big damage doesn't get there, land a Kamena, draw some cards, Put a plus one plus encounter on all of your dudes and your opponents instep, untap, play the lord that makes all of your guys with plus one plus encounters unblockable and just crack in for all of the damages.
0: I I can completely see that. I I mean, so uh, this guy works well for a couple of reasons. Like, number one, we've got four silvergill Adepts and four Merfolk Branchwalkers, which are cards that help you-
1: Facilitates like a value game plan. Which is, it feels like if Standard's gonna go for anything with a Merfolk deck, it's probably gonna be more value-oriented. Just, like, you know, being able to dump a lot of things on the board quickly.
0: Yeah, I, I think that's right. Um, so, yeah, and, and the fact that this guy is a 3-mana 2-4 means that he dodges a lot of removal. It, he's tough to Fatal Push. You can't Lightning Strike or Braid him. You can Harness Lightning him if you have the extra energy, but Harness Lightning is just Terminate, so whatever. Right, um, yeah. Dice is <laughs> so, in Blade. <laughs> right, so I mean, everything dies to Harness lightning. I don't, I don't super count that as a strike against this guy. I think he does dodge a lot of the removal that you're going to play
1: against. Uh, uh-huh. like
0: like three mana two four is a legit card against uh like mono red. So
1: yeah, pretty 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 good deal there. You know, we'll see kind of where that goes. We'll see what other filler murfolk they give us.
0: Well, and we'll also see if they give us a dual land or not because that's uh-huh. that's really where we're going to be hurting. I think.
1: Yeah. Well, so so far we've got unclaimed territory, and true. we also have botanical sanctum. So far, that's kind of what we're true. working with, and that's um,
0: that's maybe close enough. Uh, even if you have to put a couple of ether hubs or something in there, that might just be good enough.
1: Right? Yeah, we'll see. Something else like just like a blue green tapland might be worth because it, it is pretty color intensive. It seems like right. you know you you want to be curving green into blue green.
0: And we do have the blue-green comes into play tapped land if worst comes to worst. So uh, might, okay, might we just do. be enough. Okay. Yeah. Well, excellent. Yeah. yeah, you never see those because there aren't any regular old enemy-colored decks, but they're there if you really need them. <laughs>
1: right, right. Uh, and then, so we did get another lord, Legion Lieutenant, which is the Vampire Lord. He's kind of just like the same card as the Merfolk guy. It's a black-white... 2-2 two, two for two mana, and it says other vampires you control get plus one, plus one. Which, yeah. um, I find it unlikely at this point that we'll have a vampire's standard deck. Right. Maybe. It depends on how hard they push it in this new set. But that is a very, very, very powerful card in Limited. Because there are so many token cards at least in the old set that i expect that the theme will maintain a little bit through this set as well so this seems like a pretty solid pickup for the black white vampires archetype in in limited at least
0: yeah i agree yeah i mean in standard like so far we have what like legion's landing and maverin fine as like the token makers that are playable out of vampires and so we would need something pretty good uh to come out of rivals
1: Yeah, and you know, we, we did get a legendary vampire spoil as well. Alinda the Dusk Rose. Mm-hmm. It's a legendary creature. It's a 4 mana 1-1, one, one, black-white. It's got lifelink. It says whenever another creature dies, put a plus-one, plus-one counter on it. And when Alinda dies, create X-1-1 one, one white vampire creature tokens with lifelink, where X is Alinda's power. It's like a limited bomb for sure, but it's not it's this doesn't seem to me like a constructed playable card
0: yeah I, four mana of one one that has some die effect when it dies and gets bigger over time is not yeah not really that interesting to me in a world of glory bringers and <laughs> and friends yeah. the the energy world that we live in in standard <laughs> yeah unfortunately it does put a damper uh-huh. on a lot of yeah. possible spoilers
1: true I mean, you know, you can hold out for some standard bannings, but I guess we'll just have to wait and see. Honestly, I wouldn't be surprised to see some of those things banned. Who knows? Right.
0: I, I think they'll probably wait to see, you know, what happens with Rivals first. But, you know, if it just still is like Energy versus Mono Red all, all day long. Well, they've long. kind of
1: already demonstrated that they are willing to pull the trigger on things. Like, they banned Emmercool. Right before a new set was released, and they banned Aetherworks Marvel and Reflector Mage and Smuggler's Copter right before, True. or right after a new set was released, and they didn't really wait for that to kind of, like, see if there was going to be any checks and bounces there. True.
0: And actually, at this point, I think, you know, we're, I'm getting a little bit off topic now, but I would be kind sure. of interested to see what Smuggler's Copter would do in Standard right now. You know, we've got all these Fatal Pushes and Harness Lightnings and Abraded and stuff, so be interesting, although it would probably just go into energy and make energy even more powerful, so. Uh,
1: uh. Right, right, yeah, probably don't want to do that, oh well. <laughs> no, probably um, not. <laughs> but anyways, back on some spoilers, I guess. Yes. Um, there are some other interesting cards that I wanted to talk a little bit about, and unfortunately those don't really include the Planeswalkers, which I guess we should mention. Um, yeah, these guys are not exciting to me. So, you know. we got a white green Huatli, Huatli the Radiant Champion. And Huatli to me, it's a, so it's a four-mana planeswalker, it's two green white, and it seems like it just does a whole lot of nothing. It starts with three loyalty, and then it has plus 1 loyalty, put a loyalty counter on Huatli for each creature you control. So her plus 1 is give her more loyalty, essentially. And then it's got a minus 1 of target creature Gets plus X, plus X until end of turn, where X is the number of creatures you control. And then she's got a minus eight, which says you get an emblem with uh, whenever a creature enters the battlefield under your control, you draw a card. So yeah. this really just screams win more to me. You get a bunch of loyalty if you already have a bunch of dudes in play, and okay, Um, and then, you know, you can make one guy bigger if you've got a bunch of dudes already in play, okay, and then you get an emblem where you draw cards by playing more creatures, which you're only going to ever get to if you've already got a bunch of creatures in play, so, hmm. Well, Uh, so,
0: the way I see this playing out, if it's ever actually successful, is in a very token-focused Deck. So maybe some sort of like Growing Rights of Itlamok deck where she comes down and immediately jumps up a bunch of loyalty because her yeah. emblem triggers off of tokens too. So if you've got oh, stuff yeah. like, you know, the White Expertise or something like that, some of the cards are there. Like White Expertise putting Growing Rights of Itlamok into play. Like that's a powerful play. The deck just isn't there for it yet. So it's very unlikely, I think, because she is super narrow. But that's the only place I can see her succeeding. I think you ignore that minus one almost completely. And it's just sure. she's like a massive card drawing engine in the right tokens deck in the right matchups. If you're playing against a deck that has a really hard time killing her in the like one turn window before you get your emblem that draws you infinite cards.
1: So So with the idea that you've got like a bunch of one ones in play, and mm-hmm. then you plus her, and then you and then you ultimate her immediately, and then from then on and out you can you know, draw a bunch of cards off of your token makers.
0: Yeah, like, I, I mean, can, now... I can see that. Like, like you but. know, you activate your your flipped legion's landing and it draws you a card, too, that sort of thing, so... Sure, sure. Um, if you're really trying to grind against somebody, I guess. Right. But that's the only way that I can see this being anything at all.
1: Yeah. I just feel like it's it's so hard to have another card that's good enough when it comes to tokens, since we have the one that doubles tokens.
0: Right, right, exactly. Like, Anointed Procession costs four mana and right. probably just does more than this. So right. yeah. why wouldn't you just play Anointed Procession? But, yeah, we'll see.
1: And then, so we've, the other Planeswalker that we've seen is Angrath, the Flame Chained. So he's a black-red Planeswalker with four starting loyalty, and he's five converted mana cost. Starts at four loyalty, he has plus one. Each opponent discards a card and loses two life. And then he's got a kind of interesting minus three where he... Minus three is to gain control, uh, to essentially threaten a creature. So you gain control of it, untap it, it gains haste. And then he says, sacrifice it at the beginning of the next end step if it has converted mana cost three or less. So if he's stealing a big thing, your opponent is going to get it back. But if he's stealing a little thing, then he's effectively also killing it in addition to being able to attack your opponent with it which seems interesting. I don't think I've ever seen a mechanic like that, other than ones that just, like, destroy it anyways. And then he's got the minus eight ultimate of each opponent loses life equal to the number of cards in his or her graveyard. Um,
0: Yeah, this guy mostly seems like a very bad Omnixilist to me.
1: Does Does he, like, strike you like that? Yeah, a little bit. So, like, you know, if you wanted to compare it you know, instead of drawing a card, your opponent discards a card, which I think is strictly worse because they get to pick. And then instead of destroying a creature, he threatens something and then destroys it if it's small. And then instead of having the ultimate of like your opponent loses life, or whenever anybody draws a card, then it probably likely just kills them at this point in the game.
0: Yeah, I think um, both of those ultimates probably kill them.
1: But right, yeah.
0: It. I mean, like you definitely have to be a pretty aggressive deck to take advantage of this guy because, uh, like, his first ability involves them losing life and the second ability threatens, so he really only works in decks where you're, like, putting solid pressure on them, and if you want a five drop, do you really want him over Glory Breaker in that kind of deck, I guess?
1: Right, right. Yeah, I don't know. I, I, I just think that it's unlikely that he'll make the cut as well. Yeah. Um, I do think that it's interesting because I think that Wizards might be kind of, like, lowering the power level of Planeswalkers a little bit. Yeah. We've, you know, we just came off the back of Gideon and Chandra and all these Planeswalkers that were just super dominant in their respective standard formats. And I think that Wizards might be trying to go away from that a little bit, where they want the format to be a little more creature-oriented, and they don't want Planeswalkers to run away with the game or completely alter the game to being about getting those planeswalkers off of the board. That might that might be an angle that they're trying to take, but I, I don't know. It's interesting.
0: Yeah, I'm okay with it. I I think that having too many planeswalkers stacking up in these mid-range battles all the time and being the most important part of the games is is not, you know, it can be fun sometimes, but it doesn't need to be all that standard is all the time.
1: So Yeah. Yeah. It feels like planeswalkers have really defined standard over the past couple of formats it feels like but i don't know it'll be interesting to see if uh, if they're trying to take it in a different direction or kind of what the deal is there we've got some we got some places to go with standard and it, it feels like a lot of people like star city games in particular is moving away from standard in a pretty big way yeah. um be, just because of all the numbers that we've seen where all the modern events that star city hosts get just infinitely more people attending them than any of the standard events that they host like standard events will typically get around standard opens in particular in my experience typically get around i don't know 500 people or so but all the modern ones are like 900 to 1000 it feels like or just kind of like some of them cap it just kind of depends on what what it looks like but i think that because of that clear trend that people like modern a lot and are willing to travel to modern tournaments. People are moving away from standard, and I wonder if Wizards is kind of catching on to that, and if they're going to make any drastic changes to standard, or if they're going to make any bannings, or if we're going to move on back to, like, block-constructed crazy idea, maybe. It just feels like there needs to be some sort of change if if we're going to have another format other than modern uh, survive. <laughs> yeah, but, I, yeah
0: I mean, we definitely have unfortunately been through just a lot of not great standards back to back to back like pretty much since Cons of Tarkir rotated out we've kind of been in this milieu of standards that people really don't enjoy playing in and I don't really know hope you know this the the few cards that we've seen from rivals here uh and it's certainly not enough to note what's going to happen but they are a little bit they're things that I kind of like to see less powerful planeswalkers some powerful lords that are pushing mechanics other than this mid-range energy stuff so maybe the cards are going to be enough but maybe it's just sort of in general the types of cards that they're printing what they're pushing and the size of the format makes it not able to be healthy anymore i'm not really sure what the deal is with that but um yeah yeah that kind of brings us to our next topic which is um some of the changes to the scg tour including the the almost complete stepping away from Standard that they're doing.
1: Yeah, so essentially, I guess this was a couple weeks ago, Star City Games made an announcement that they are switching over what previously were going to be Standard Opens to team tournaments, Mm -hmm. um, which I think is cool. I think team tournaments are awesome. Uh, Dallas, is in a couple of weeks, is going to be a Team Open instead of a Standard Open, and there's one other event. I think SCG... Atlanta in April was going to be a standard open and it's now going to be a team constructed open um so those are kind of like interesting changes to make probably due to the fact that uh and I don't know this is just speculation on my point but probably due to the fact that the standard events just aren't really pulling the numbers that they wanted it'll be interesting to see kind of like what happens with that and then the other big announcement that they made is the awards that are given out to people who place it highly on the seasonal SEG leaderboard. So yeah, you're, you're one of the not very many people who actually
0: kinda has a stake in this, so
1: Yeah, there right, there aren't really many people who are affected by this, but for those of us who are grinding a lot of Star City events and have a shot at it, I guess I'm I'm one of the few people who, who has, you know, could potentially be affected by this. Although maybe not because these are going to be seasonally awarded and although I am very high up in the overall standings right, this you're season is
0: zero again.
1: Yep. Yeah, I'm starting at zero again for this season. So I'm I'm just I'm just another scrub. So um
0: <laughs> yeah, just another scrub with two buys at each open though. Well,
1: okay, yeah, that's fair. But yeah, anyways, the uh the structure of of kind of like rewards that were there that are given out to the top placers at each season are moving from Just a bunch of magic cards, which I think is a good summary of what was given out last time, (laughs) Um, to kind of some interesting stuff. So just to kind of read it out a little bit, for first place, you get round-trip airfare to the next Invitational Weekend, which is, I'm sure, cool for a lot of people uh, who are further away from Roanoke. Four hotel room nights for the Invitational Weekend. Uh, Three buys at all opens in the following season. Huge deal that's ridiculous Um, (laughs) Yep. free entry to all opens the following season also a huge deal free entry to one classic per weekend so essentially free free entry to all classics this following (laughs) season as well a thousand dollars in star city games gift card money and a customized gaming chair.
0: I feel like so, that was some sponsor that offered that. I feel like that wasn't... A, <laughs> that was <actually> like,
1: <laughs> yeah, just kind of throw that into the end and say, oh, yeah, also we've got a game chair that you could have. <laughs> yeah.
0: um, I mean, I, I'd take it, you know. I certainly wouldn't wouldn't turn down my customized gaming chair.
1: Honestly, so from my perspective, huge props to Stars of the Games for making these changes. I think that this is now an actual incentive for people to do well in the seasonal point race yeah. because before you know the cards were nice but so I, I play second in the last season and i'm getting four copies of each card in the next two standard legal sets and honestly i'm just not excited about it <laughs> <laughs> uh you know it's, it's a bunch of cards and i i just don't really want to own a lot of magic cards anyways and i'm probably just going to try to turn them around and sell them and because the standard sets have been so medium recently, it's just not even worth that much. But from what I can tell of what we're moving to, this is some, some good stuff happening here. It's no player's championship, but it's a step in the right direction, I think.
0: Yeah. Um, it really feels like you're competing for something here. The old prizes, yeah. which were just sets of, of the you know next standard sets really felt like an afterthought, and this feels like a a, a true feature of the
1: tour. I think it's a huge upgrade. Yeah. Just kind of going down the list a little bit, the the prices drop off a little bit after first place. So second place gets two buys at all the uh, Opens in the following season. They still get free entry into both Opens and Classics. Uh, They get $500 in Star City money. Third through fourth gets two buys, free entry to one Classic, $250. Fifth through eighth get two buys, $100. 9th through 16th get two buys, $50 store credit, and 17th through 32nd get one buy. So that's cool. And it seems like this might be kind of like the new way of getting buys for the next season.
0: Yeah, it's nice that you can't get knocked off the list of people with buys. You know, like you check check your points after a tournament that you missed and all of a sudden you don't have as many buys as you used to it's nice right. to get them locked in like this
1: yeah for sure it was there was it, in the current way that it works it's kind of like a huge influx of like okay do i have two buys this season do i have one buy or this tournament even not even season do i have two yeah. buys this tournament do i have one buy this tournament you had to kind of like wait on getting an email from star city telling you kind of what the deal was when they updated the points and stuff i was pretty lucky and that mine didn't really fluctuate a lot i kind of like hovered around Eighth, I think for most of the season the uh the new system is interesting for sure and it's uh it definitely feels like the people who have buys is going to fluctuate a lot as well. It'll be it'll just be kind of like something new to get used to, right?
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I don't think it'll be too different. I think it'll be mostly the same people with buys, but this kind of alleviates some of that you know, not knowing or or having to check or or like it being really bad to miss a weekend because if Uh, one particular person top eights, then you don't have buys anymore or something. So. Right, right, Um, right, right. right.
1: For sure.
0: So that's good. um, I do want to offer a little bit of criticism from the other end as to the the getting rid of the standard tournaments like I, I i feel like maybe they don't really have a choice at this point because it's really hard to run tournaments that you get you know 50 to 70 percent of the revenue that your more popular tournaments get it's really tough to justify doing that from a business standpoint and i 100 understand that hopefully wizards get standard to a place where you know that's not the necessary business decision anymore but we'll see um, it is a little tough. You know, one of the cool things about these release weekend standard tournaments was that they kind of gave a preview of like what would happen at the what could happen at the pro tour. Um, and it was it was an awesome little window into that. Um, and I think maybe, you know, with the team opens, there might not be quite as much brewing or emphasis on that, you know, because it's one of three decks, it's harder to see exactly which standard decks are succeeding. So that's one of the cool things that I think the, the tour is is losing. By making this change. Um, yeah. And also kind of the the way they did it is a little bit, you know, obviously doesn't affect me because I'm in Germany and I wasn't going to SCG Dallas or anything. But they did make this announcement like a month before SCG Dallas, which I think is if I had been planning to go to Dallas to play New Standard, um, I think that would have been a little bit frustrating for me to now have to find a team find a legacy player that I think you know is competent uh and get all of us to that tournament you know especially like coming if I were flying there from North Carolina because I was taking the tour really seriously finding people to also go to Dallas with me and play in a team tournament on just like four weeks notice is a little bit tough um and so I would ideally that would have had more notice given to it I think
1: yeah yeah for sure I, I agree that, like, you know, there, there are definitely downsides to last-minute change, and I agree that Standard is, you know... There are still people who really, really enjoy playing Standard, but I also believe that Standard is in a state right now that could definitely use some improvement. So I think that there has to be, like, some things happening from kind of like the Wizards of the Coast end of things to change that, at least until Kaladesh rotate, rotates out. So it'll kind of be interesting to see what happens there, and if if that does happen, how Star City adapts to what ends up happening from that standpoint. But kind of for me personally, I, I kind of have a unique opinion on the formats of tournaments, where I don't really care what format the tournaments are. A lot of people are very opinionated on, I want to play Legacy all the time, or I want to play Modern all the time, or... I would to play standard all the time. Like, it, it feels like a lot of Magic players have strong opinions on what their favorite formats are and, when you know, all that stuff. Personally, for me, though, I don't really care about what format to play. I, I feel like I'm relatively competent in all the formats, and I enjoy all the formats, and my enjoyment of the game itself isn't format-specific. So that's kind of, like, my personal take on it. But I do recognize that there are players out there who are very opinionated on, you know, wanting to keep their format, whatever that format happens to be. So for those players, I can definitely see this kind of being a little bit jarring. It kind of feels a little reminiscent to what happened to Legacy when they announced that there were going to effectively be no more Legacy Opens, or not no more Legacy Opens, but, like, very rarely Legacy Opens, where they just kind of, like, dropped a format for a season... And it kind of feels like that they're doing that for Standard a little bit and just super, super honing in on Modern. But I think that, you know, Legacy had a lot of very vocal fans and the community was much more disappointed about that than I think they are about this one because Standard doesn't really have a lot of very vocal fans right now because the common consensus is that Standard is just not in a place that people want not be playing right now. Right, um,
0: right. And the position that we're in where, you know, we don't really care what format a tournament is in. We're probably just going to go play it because we want to play Magic. Um, yeah. The people who do care about the format, by and large, do not want to play Standard. And that's why they're making uh-huh. this change. Is yeah. Because people don't show up for the Standard Opens.
1: Right. I think that's... A, yeah, that's a good point. For sure. Um, so I think that there there isn't really going to be a lot of, like, backlash on this. Just because Standard doesn't have a lot of supporters <laughs> at the moment. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but... Uh, but yeah, it is interesting, and, it, and it, I, I feel like it does kind of like draw some similar lines to what they did with Legacy a couple of years ago now. Um, yeah. Or maybe even a year? I, I don't know. Time is hard to quantify. <laughs> <laughs>
0: um, yeah. I mean, I, I think pretty much boils down to I really hope that Wizards it manages to navigate Standard back into a place where people are excited to, to play it again. Because we need more than one Magic format, and, and mm-hmm. we need Standard to be good
1: yeah yeah for sure right i guess yeah my personal opinions are that i don't really care what we play Um, i think (laughs) team opens are great i think that standard is great i think that modern is great i think that legacy is great maybe great plus but yeah it is it is interesting to see a a strong bias and i think that bias is just influenced by numbers more than anything else yeah i
0: I, I mean i I do think it's almost a forced decision on star city games as part at this moment but hopefully future seasons we'll see something different
1: Right, yeah. I mean, you know, if if Star City's objective for these tournaments is to make some sort of revenue, then modern's where it's at. So yep. we should be. They should be focusing on modern. It's just kind of that simple. Yep. So
0: speaking of which,
1: yeah. Speaking of which, <laughs> yeah. Uh, um, why don't
0: we talk about modern? <laughs> yeah, let's do it. So you've got you've got SEG Columbus this weekend, right?
1: Um, I'm super excited, because I get to play Modern this weekend in Columbus, and Columbus, for what it's worth, is my favorite city, maybe in the United States. Really? Um, which is, I know is a bold statement, and I tell that to people, like, a common question that I receive when I tell people that I travel a lot is, oh, what's your favorite city? And my answer is always Columbus or Ohio. <laughs>
0: <laughs> All right, well, um, we got we to get some explanation for this.
1: I, it's kind of hard to describe, really. I just have had a lot of good experiences in the kind of just like the town of Columbus. Maybe it's because it's like a college town, and personally, I'm not really a big fan of cities, and Columbus doesn't feel like a city. There are definitely sky rises or whatever, but it, like every time I've been there, it's been like a good temperature and like sunny outside and. Like, the hotel that we often stay at, like, we walk through, like, some sort of garden in order to get to the convention center, and we can walk to the convention center, and the best restaurant of all time, uh, Tip Top, exists in Columbus, Ohio. So there's just there's just so many things that I love about that city. It's, it I don't know, it just feels kind of homey a little bit to me for some reason. I don't know. Okay. And just kind of the vibe that you get from, like, walking around downtown is pretty similar to the Durham downtown which is where I was born and raised and that kind of also gives it that vibe it's like it's you know there's a university there and just you know a lot of fun experiences so that's why I like Columbus
0: it's it's the anti-Richmond I guess
1: (laughs) yeah it's I guess it's the anti-Richmond Richmond
0: Richmond gets a lot of
1: flack but Richmond is home to uh what we fondly call the labyrinth I think that's in Richmond or is that in Atlanta so the labyrinth is a parking deck that exists where you go you go into the parking deck and it's all kind of like nice and friendly and if you're lucky then as soon as you turn into the initial like drive in of the parking deck there's like the green lot to your left If it's open, which it kind of never is, then (laughs) great, you can end your your experience there. You can go into the green deck, and you're pretty close to the convention center, and it's all good. Or you can continue into the gulch, which is, (laughs) some believe, some people may never return from. I've had many stories of trying to get to the convention center on time in the morning for round one, and... Green deck is full, obviously, so we have to go and proceed into the gulch. And you go underground, and you make some zigzags, and it's just a labyrinth of who knows what. And then you finally find a parking space, and it costs too much money, and then you have to find your way out of the labyrinth in order to get to the uh, convention center. And you've got to you know look for some stairs that might be four turns away, and uh, man, it's just a nightmare. Um, yeah, that's and I'm pretty that's sure gotta
0: it, be Atlanta, I think. Uh, my recollection of the the times I've been to Richmond is that the parking has been kind of the only saving grace. Okay, so.
1: got it, got it. Well, then it's definitely not Richmond. I'm probably thinking Atlanta. <laughs> they all blend together, I don't know. But, uh, that's my fun story of the Labyrinth. We, <laughs> like, we fondly call it the Labyrinth. Just because there have been many close calls there, in terms of getting to the tournament on time. But, um, but yeah. Anyways, what were we talking about? Modern. <laughs> yeah. So I I've I just started okay.
0: paying attention to modern again too. I've I've actually got a tournament this weekend. Although it's it's kind of, I mean it's two different tournaments. It's a standard tournament day one and a modern tournament day two. I think run by the the European equivalent of TCG player. So I'm trying to okay, kind cool. of prep for both. But I haven't played modern in a little bit, so I'm trying to catch up. Um, right. But yeah. So let's definitely definitely talk some modern.
1: So right. So the last. Big tournament, I feel like, was, what, Grand Prix Oklahoma City, which we talked a little about in the last podcast. Yeah, that was almost, that was over three weeks ago at this point, so that
0: that is kind of ancient history in magic terms, even though it's the latest uh, paper tournament.
1: Right. Um, And I've kept my finger on the pulse a little bit. The thing that we saw coming out of Grand Prix Oklahoma City was big mana decks dominated. We had Tron and Valkut. Making up almost the entirety of the top 8 and top 16, yeah. honestly.
0: Like, 5 of the top 8 decks and a bunch more in the top 16, so...
1: Right, and I think that that was kind of, like, an answer to the fact that a lot of mid-range decks had popped up answering the humans deck. So, big mana decks did really well then, and kind of adds an answer to that, at least on Magic Online. Kind of the only way to keep up with it, I guess, would would be through Magic Online. We saw kind of like after that tournament, Modern went back to kind of its normal even spread of things. There wasn't It wasn't really dominated by a lot of things, I wouldn't say.
0: And the the prediction that kind of everybody was making was, ooh, now it's time for linear combo decks. It's time to yeah, play Storm yeah. or Ad Nauseam and beat up on uh, Titan Shift and Tron. And I don't think that really... You know, hard to say without a GP or anything like that, but it didn't feel like it really played out quite that way.
1: Yeah, so I, I didn't really see a huge influx of the linear combo decks. Strangely enough, in the recent weeks, I've seen a lot more uh, mid-range piles than anything yeah. else. Um, yeah. The common trend of what I've seen over two modern challenges ago it seems like the entirety of the 8-0s and 7 were kind of just mid-range piles. And then, again, on the most recent Modern Challenge that we had this past week, we have John Deathshadow, Mardu Pyromancer still putting up good results. Yeah, just um, a lot
0: of Thoughtseize decks around.
1: A lot of Thoughtseize decks. Mardu Pyromancer has kind of, like, increased in popularity a little bit, just kind of, like, as a really, really good answer to the creature-based decks. It's just kind of the best, like, removal spell deck right now, I think. Um, Yeah. Playing humans against
0: this deck is uh, an actual nightmare. Oh,
1: it's very bad. Because they also play Blood Moon, which can kind of get you sometimes. (laughs) Um, Yeah, and Forked Bolt. Like, it's just not a beatable matchup. But somehow, through kind of all the the mid-range pile decks that we've seen, Five Color Humans has continued to put up results. Yeah,
0: it... It's it's back.
1: Yeah, humans is back, kind of in a big way, and I think that that might be due to some innovations recently on the humans list that yeah. we've seen. But the, yeah, there was a seven one and an eight o in the most recent modern challenge, which is kind of interesting to see alongside some of these like mid range piles that would theoretically beat up on it a little bit. But um, but yeah, I mean humans is doing well in the past couple of five o lists and. Some other stuff, which is uh, which I'm happy to see for sure. So, I, and I do want to talk a little bit about the humans' innovations. Sam Pardee introduced Phantasmal Image to the humans' deck, and I was pretty skeptical of that at first. But after playing with it, it's pretty perfect for the humans' list. Mm. Um, and that is because when you're playing the humans' deck, all you ever really want to draw are like multiples of a particular card. Because the number of times that my opponent has said, oh, well, I guess I just couldn't beat your double X hand is kind of silly. Like, you know, p- people have said that to me about, like, double Meddling Mage, double Kaisel Freebooter, double Thalia's Lieutenant, double Manis Rider, double Reflector Mage. Just like, yeah. you know, a lot of these cards are, like, really, really good in particular situations. So having another, like... Almost kind of like a Snapcaster Mage effect where you're just kind of like getting a redo on like an ETB trigger or something like that. It's it's really powerful. So Phantasmal Image, being able to double up on the cards in, that are good in particular matchups is just kind of a really powerful effect to have.
0: Yeah, and we've kind of talked about before like how, you know, half of the deck is, you know, Beats and Reflector Mages and the other half of the deck is Disruptive Elements and you want to be drawn the right half of your deck and then when you've got a split card that's either like beats or disruptive element that can really help make sure that you're doing it you, you know you're doing it correctly
1: yeah so that was that was pretty cool to see and i've adopted that pretty fully at this point all of my recent lists have had four phantasm image just because it, so it's it kind of like replaces one for one of um, mayor of averbrook or uh, dark confidant kind of whatever you had decided to play in that slot <laughs> um, but both of those cards, in my experience, were pretty bad. Mayor was always the worst card in the deck, and Dark Confidant just never really did what I wanted it to. So I ended up cutting both of those for Phantasmal Image, um, and I've been pretty happy with it. Um, and
0: what's interesting to me is a lot of these decks are also trimming on on Big Thalia, which is a little bit surprising in you know with the numbers of Tron and like Valakut and stuff that we've seen around.
1: I yeah I probably am not ever gonna go down below one big Thalia. A lot of lists have completely cut it. I've just had so m- so many good experiences with that card. And looking subjectively at the the m- kind of what the meta game looks like now with a bunch of Tron or whatever, it seems good as well. I I still like one in my main deck, but I can see other people not not being super excited about it.
0: I mean, it does hurt when you play a three mana guy that doesn't have an effect when it comes into play and it gets killed by random removal spell yeah for out.
1: sure and there are a lot of situations where big thalia is just a three two human for three which is really bad um <laughs> not,
0: not good so enough for modern
1: <laughs> yeah yeah so you know that is that is definitely a downside of, of of having that card um and maybe it'll wander over to the sideboard i i don't know but i've seen it be pretty good but maybe that's just kind of like my my experience bias influencing me too much and it's just better not to have because, uh, so there was a eight o list in the most recent Modern Challenge that was 5-Color Humans. And it ran in the main deck a one of Kessig Malcontents. Right, which,
0: and you're, uh, you're going have to have to... That card <laughs> which off, is, I'm you. probably
1: going to have to read out loud. So it's, <laughs> it's a red human, 3-mana, three 3-1. Three it says, uh, when Kessig Malcontents enters the battlefield, it deals damage to target player equal to the number of humans you control. So this is kind of like the human's version of that elf that we saw recently. I'm kind of uh, on the name Shaman of Shaman of the Pack or yeah, something. Yeah, like yeah. Where essentially it just comes into play and it domes your opponent for 4 or 5 or something, which it leads to a lot of turn 4 kills because, you know, your first couple of turns are kind of getting on the board and then you can dome your opponent for a bunch um mm-hmm. to kind of like close them out like, you know, surprise deal you an extra a bunch of extra damage or whatever which is kind of cool and works really well with the card velocity that you get out of aether vial where like if your goal is to like dump a bunch of things on the board then you know casting mock contents is kind of what you want um and if you look at the board states of humans a lot of the time you're very frequently having like you know four guys on the board very very quickly so i can i can kind of see it um it also gives you an out against
0: ensnaring bridge which i think is a good thing to have
1: yeah When uh, So after I saw this list from Magic Aids, I tuned it for SCG Cincinnati, and I did look at Kessing Malcontents. It was actually recommended to me by, or from the person who has been lending me the deck, my friend Wit. He saw Kessing Malcontents, and he was like, we got to put this in. This looks great. And back then, I said, it just feels like it's doing more of what the deck is already good at where it's the deck is very very good at killing your opponent on turn four or five like the mm-hmm. the deck can put out damage and i feel like casting malcontents was just kind of like more of the same i would want you know more versatile kind of threats at the same time but now that we've moved away from the additional lord in mayor of averbrook since we're not playing those anymore, maybe the deck does need that just tiny little extra oomph of being able to put damage on the board. So potentially casting Malcontents could be good there. It's also good with Phantasmal Image. Yes, being able to being able to Phantasmal Image this one seems pretty sweet. Yeah. Because that's like um, nine damage out of nowhere sometimes, which is fun. Yeah,
0: yeah. Like, like face damage is definitely better in multiples, and having yeah. more different options for the Phantasmal Image just makes Phantasmal Image a better card. So... Right, I, I, I think it makes more sense once the images are in the deck, and I think it makes a lot of sense, you know, if you're a little worried about Lantern, which I think is has picked up a little bit recently. So, not that that's true, you that's should be true. worried about any individual deck in Modern, but, you know, if the card is almost good enough and then this one particular deck is, is becoming mm. better.
1: Yeah, it does give you extra percentage points against Lantern. You're still not going to be their lock because they're never going to let you draw it, but... But if you, you know. draw
0: it in your opening hand, then you almost... I, I guess unless they thought seize you,
1: which they can, but, you yeah. know. Lantern's pr- pretty good deck at, at being yeah. able to deal with a lot of stuff, but... Um, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it just, you know, not all Magic games play out exactly according to plan, and sometimes the Lantern deck stumbles sometimes and then slams a bridge, and then you can have this as your answer to kill them, so... Yeah. And actually,
0: know. we should probably talk about Lantern for a minute. Okay. Because um, that deck is much, much better... Like like over the past maybe like six weeks or so, it, it, it's just a much better deck now with War of Invention. Um, I the the matches that I've played against it have have been a lot scarier and tighter because of the ability of War of War of Invention to just get what they need. It's the deck is powerful and very real. Um, yeah. so I mean that's mostly all I want to say about it is the deck is much better now. Oh,
1: for sure. So there's a few interesting things happening with Lantern. In the context of a metagame, I'm going to go ahead and say this right now. I will be very surprised if a copy of Lantern does not top 8 the Pro Tour. Okay. Um, and that is because Lantern kind of it falls under some weird categories. Nobody wants to play it because it's not very exciting and it's very hard to play. There aren't no a kidding. lot of people out there who are going to be good at piloting a Lantern deck. And because of those two things, the people who are going to be playing it are the high-level professional players out there who are willing to play the deck that is not very fun but gives them a high win percentage. So people like Sam Black and Brian Bronduin have been picking up Lantern and have been having success with it. But we aren't really seeing a lot of it in massive numbers, so, it's not really on a lot of people's radar because when people say, oh, okay, what are people playing in modern right now? Let me go to MTG Goldfish and pull up the modern metagame. Okay, I see, you know, we've got Quixus Death Shadow, Blue Red, Gift Storm, Chess Guy Control, Tron, Five Color Humans, Eldrazi, Tron, Burn, Affinity, et cetera, et cetera. And you can go pretty far down the list and just not see Lantern Control. And that doesn't mean that it's not a tier one deck it just means that nobody's playing it and nobody's playing it because a it's too hard to play and b nobody wants to play it so it's in this weird balance of lanterns in my opinion very very good tier one deck maybe even tier zero if you're playing it optimally it seems very busted (laughs) but nobody wants to play it so it's not seeing like good metagame percentage numbers Um, and it's it's particularly poorly suited
0: for grinding competitive leagues because right. if you're doing this, trying to slowly build your magic collection, you do not want to be playing the deck that every match takes 35 minutes to finish. Yeah.
1: yeah, So I think that a lot of people are going to catch on to the fact that it's going to be there at the Pro Tour, and a lot of high-level players are going to be playing it. So if you're playing at the Pro Tour, you need to have some sort of answer to it. I think Kessig Malcontents is an excellent choice for the Humans deck in particular, mm-hmm. to be able to have an extra percentage point or two against the deck. But yeah, it um, you know if you want to talk about like what you're going to be seeing at your say this weekend in uh, Columbus, I, I don't think that you're going to see much Lantern at all. Uh, maybe Brian Broadwin will show up with it, or Sam Black will show up with it. I don't know who is planning on t- attending the tournament, but but yeah, I think that's just kind of like my interesting thoughts on what, uh, what you know what Lantern's doing right now.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think if it, it's tough because I, I do think Lantern is. One of the best five or six decks in the format for sure right now. It's just very very powerful um, But it's not a deck that I can say like Oh, yeah, you're getting into modern Why don't you get really good at this deck because you, you <laughs> yeah. need like a thousand matches of modern under your belt because you're playing your opponent's deck against them when you're playing Lantern Yeah. so in order to the- play
1: lantern appropriately you have to know exactly what's in your opponent's deck and I think because we live in the information age the number of people who do know what exactly is in everybody's deck is a lot higher than it would be maybe five years ago but still the number of people who are gonna have that skill is much smaller than you know who's playing modern so
0: yeah and there's a difference between knowing what cards are in your opponent's deck and understanding like how those cards are going to interact with your game plan like you know a lot of matchups where you wouldn't really think about it you have to start bringing in graveyard hate because mm-hmm. they're going to bring in Ancient Grudge, and you can't really deal with that in any other way or something like that. Um, right, right, right. And, and you know, it's, it's just a, a deck that rewards really, really deep format knowledge. So, yeah, I, I think while the Sam Blacks of the world will be able to be successful with it at a Pro Tour level, yeah, you don't see people playing leagues with it. It's not a good league deck, and I think that makes it seem like it's not as powerful a deck as it is. But the War of Invention version is legitimately uh, just a very, very scary deck. It's playing one of, if not the best, the most powerful card of the format in in Mox Opal, and it may actually be a better Mox Opal deck than Affinity is. So, like, that's a scary sentence, and I, I think Lantern is very, very
1: real. Yeah, for sure. I don't really have anything else to say there. I yeah, guess. yeah. Sorry. I mean, I <laughs> yeah. yeah,
0: just just on my Lantern soapbox a little bit. And you know what? I don't think this means that I'm going to play Lantern. Uh, at least not for a while, because I, I still don't, I'm not in a place where I would feel comfortable sitting down from every single deck in the format and knowing what to do, but maybe I should.
1: Um, yeah, I don't know. I, uh, it's it's one of those things where, you know, after we've talked about it a lot, I'm like, maybe I should just be queuing up Lantern and playing a bunch with it, but the Pro Tour is in a month, and I don't think that a, m- a month's worth of, you know, maybe, maybe like if I started today and like played that deck for a month that I could probably get there to the point where I could play that deck efficiently but I don't know I'm just worried that too many people at the approach are going to be ready for it sure um but as maybe as I just have too be. too much faith in in people being ready for decks because I, I I a couple of weeks ago I was like dredge is in an excellent position right now but I think that enough people are gonna know that and be prepared for it and they just weren't so maybe yeah, I just have too much faith in people, but uh, I don't know.
0: Yeah, interesting.
1: Like, it's we haven't had a
0: Modern Pro Tour in a while, so I don't really know. It'll be interesting to see, like, if we make calls like that, like, hey, this would be good, but I think that people are going to be ready for the graveyard or, or ready for a Lantern deck, and then they're just not even at a Pro Tour. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see
1: what level of prep people have for those individual things. Yeah, yeah.
0: So, playing humans this weekend, I assume?
1: Well, okay, so I do. I guess I should talk about some other stuff uh, with Modern. I've been kind of putting humans on the shelf in terms of testing a little bit. I feel okay. pretty confident with my ability to play humans, so I don't feel like I need to play a lot of that. But what I have been doing to prepare in Modern has been playing a bunch of different decks in Modern. Uh, I've been switching back and forth between, like, I was playing Ad Nauseam for a little bit, I was playing Green Red Ponza for a little bit, I was playing Green Tron for a little bit. I just kind of, like, bounced back and forth between a bunch of other stuff, just to get a better feel for a lot of the decks that could potentially be good, or that are Tier 1. I was playing Death Shadow for a little bit on Magic Online. I've just been kind of, like, hopping around. And the deck that I've been playing most recently has actually been Eldrazi Tron. I just kind of like took a look at the snapshot of what I expected to see in modern, and it still feels like the deck is there. There are or the the format is still full of a lot of mid range piles, um, just based on what I've been seeing on the Magic Online um, okay. meta game, and who knows if that'll be the same in like in Columbus or whatever. But that made me want to play some sort of big mana deck, and I played. I played Scapeshift for a little bit, and I played Through the Breach even a little bit, and just something didn't really feel right with those. And I played Greentron for a little bit, and something didn't feel right with those. But then I picked up Eldrazi Tron, and it still beats up on the the mid range piles, but it also has really good game against Greentron and Storm and some other stuff like that. And uh, I immediately 5 0'd my first league with it, and then now I'm 3 0 in my second league with it, and i am been pretty impressed with it. So there is a non-zero chance that I decide to shelf humans for just a little bit and play Eldrazi Tron. Um, But I'm always kind of willing to just pick up humans and (laughs) tune it towards the the metagame. My goal for the past couple of weeks has been to keep my finger on the pulse for what the modern metagame looks like, and I feel confident that I'll be able to tune a humans list to be able to be as good as it can be in that. But if I view that it's not really going to be well positioned no matter what, then I'm not afraid to pick up something else for a weekend.
0: Yeah, and I think that's a nice kind of, you know, even if you are limiting yourself, like, okay, this weekend I'm either going to be playing humans or I'm going to be playing Eldrazi Tron. um, Those kind of match up really well against sort of opposing metagames. So Mm -hmm. like one of those decks should be a good choice wherever we are.
1: Right, right. And I'm not going to lie, I have to confess that for as long as Eldrazi Tron has been a deck. I had not played any of it until I queued it up for a league yesterday. And wow, this deck is just really good sometimes. <laughs> 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 um, because it has the ability to like do really busted things really quickly that like, Green Tron does. But a lot of the time you're just like playing turn 3, Thought Not Seer, turn 4, Reality Smasher, and then your opponent dies. And that's still just really good. So I'm, I've been really impressed with the Eldrazi Tron deck. I hadn't played it ever. Like, I've, I've played against it a ton, so I know the deck really well. But I just hadn't really picked it up myself yet. And, uh, oh boy, some of these draws feel really good. Like, whenever you have two Tron pieces in a map in your Eldrazi Tron deck, yep. it, it's just like, oh, okay. It's well dumb. I, I guess that this game is just over. Because then you can just, like, you know, even if you're not playing a Karn on turn three, you can still go like, all right, ThoughtNotSeer, reali- or ThoughtNotSeer, Mattery Shaper, following it up with like a, you know, kind of whatever else you've got in your hand. Uh, I've been I've been impressed with the deck, honestly. And I know that I'm, you know, people have had that realization of this deck like forever ago, and I'm just kind of like, just now getting to it. <laughs> but, um, well, it sounds like you haven't hit,
0: my experience with Altrazitron is it's definitely a pretty high variance deck. Um, and when you're riding the crest of good variants, it just seems like the most insane thing in the world. But then when you get those, like, when you're in the, the mire of, like, matter reshapers and not quite getting there as your opponent, like, does their plan, it, it really doesn't feel very good. But, sure, sure. Uh, yeah. you know, the stuff that the deck can do is very, very broken, and, and Chalice is just an insane card, so.
1: Yeah, yeah, definitely leans on Chalice pretty hard uh, sometimes. But, yeah, Chalice is busted a lot of the time.
0: Yep. So I think this weekend I am probably, so I'm in a kind of a weird spot because I can't really borrow cards here, um, uh, which okay. limits me a little bit, uh, and I think I'm going to fix that by investing a little bit more money in my own collection. But So this weekend in Modern, just based on the cards that I have in my possession right now, uh, I'm a little bit limited to either Living End or Elves, <laughs> which is a weird Couple of decks to be limited to, Um, but I'm actually kind of excited to play Living End this weekend because that top eight deck from Columbus is pretty sweet. I do actually think that Archfiend is in a a decent place right now, um, and that gives the deck a a cool dimension. When Amonkhet first came out, I tried Archfiend and was not impressed with it, but I think the metagame is just in a place right now where um, having that as an additional tool against stuff like the Humans decks or other creaturey decks uh, makes it good enough and so then even if they disrupt your living end plan you just have a straight up cast this almost unbeatable five drop plan against certain decks so i'm actually pretty excited i've been, i've played it online a little bit and it's felt pretty good uh, i've got some tweaks to make to it uh including cutting a land for a, a simian spirit guide which is a mm-hmm. you know i rarely cut a land from decks that i steal from people but, uh, <laughs>
1: yeah yeah
0: but yeah, and also just having the Fulminator and Beast Within Package right now, I really, really like because it's so good against the Jeskai decks and it's so good against uh, Tron decks that, you know, I, I just finished two matches in a row where my opponent had two islands in play when I killed them. Uh, so, you know. That seems the Deck fine. is, it, it's sweet. The deck, the deck feels really good. It has more dimensions than you would think. Sometimes it is just a worse version of Dredge, but... What I do like about it is that there are ways to play around the hate cards. Um, there are ways to win matches where you never even resolve a living end. Right. Um, and I'm also pretty experienced with the deck at this point, so it feels comfortable to me.
1: Um, yeah, that makes sense. Have so you we'll have see. you seen or considered the mono-blue version? Uh, uh, yes. I think that running. deck
0: is really, really sweet. I like it a lot. I mean, it's almost... You know, like, like to play that deck, I would need to go uh, buy, like, $400 worth of cards. Uh, right, yeah. Which, you know, that isn't is a problem. Like, there's no reason not to own cryptic commands and stuff. But, you know, if I'm going to spend a bunch of money on a deck right now, I'm probably going to buy Tron, a Tron deck of some sort, or uh, the rest of, you know, the pieces of Death Shadow or something that I'm missing. Sure, sure. Um, So, and I mean, I am, you know, I I think I need to invest in just owning full 75s for a Tron deck, a Storm deck, and uh, a Thoughtseize deck of some sort, Um, so I can pick one of those for whatever I feel is right this weekend. Um, Yeah, I
1: do like the theory of, like, pick three decks in modern, get good at those three decks, as long as they are on different sides of the modern wheel, right? Yeah. You don't want to be playing, like, three big mana decks, but you you should be playing, like, a big mana deck and a linear combo deck and a mid range pile deck, if, if you can, like, you know, pick your angles or whatever. You know, this is what
0: we were talking about a little bit last week, and I actually saw an article today when I was just sort of going through and reviewing some of the content that's out there. And I, I'm trying to remember whose article it was, but um, somebody sort of listed out might have been seth manfield but somebody sort of listed out here are the top five decks in modern and sort of the categories they're in and i would recommend getting good at one of the decks in each of these categories uh so Uh you always have something to play so i i think we are not the only ones who have kind of um advanced that idea so i'm definitely going to try to embrace that if i can but right now that's going to involve like a Two thousand dollar investment into cards, so I got sure, to sort of work yeah. my way into it.
1: <laughs> yeah, definitely. but Yeah, I mean, uh, I don't know how much you've seen of the blue living in deck, or even if we talked about it last time.
0: No, uh, we didn't, and we we should. I didn't mean to like switch to pull the topic away from that. I do. Oh no, 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 yeah, you're good for a minute.
1: Yeah, um, but uh, a lot of people. It's been receiving a lot of publicity on both. DAR City Games and Channel Fireball. People like you know people doing video series with it, and I've just kind of like seen it all over the place. And on Magic Online, I played, I like played a league where I played against it like th- three times in a row, or something ridiculous. Um, so it's it's definitely a very real deck, and essentially it's an as per deck. It, it's focused around resolving a living end but instead of cascading into the living end and having so many deck building restrictions because of that you are resolving an as we're told and then later on resolving a because as we told allows you to just cast a suspend spell immediately for free um mm-hmm. so it, it does have some busted draws of cycle 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 as we're told living end Right, but
0: that's not really the point of the deck,
1: yeah. Yeah, but the, the the main point of the deck is that it allows you to play kind of like a controlling game where you have right. this finisher of, as we're told, in The Living End. Um, but you're playing, like, remands and mana leaks and cryptic commands and in this just, like, mono-blue shell that seems, like, really, really good at stalling up the board. Because it, it doesn't really matter how many creatures your opponent has on the board. Uh, if you can, like cryptic tap your team draw card cryptic tap your team draw card resolve living end now you're dead like it doesn't really matter what your opponent's up to yeah Um, and that
0: may that absolutely could be the future of of living end and i I, I, yeah i i would like to explore that a little bit more it does seem very very powerful like cryptic command and living end are best friends Having a mono blue deck with the effect of the card living end, like that's a perfect way to shore up what blue isn't able to do on its own in modern.
1: Just a bunch of features.
0: Yeah. 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 It's, it's just incredible. And then your mana base is, is perfect. It's just all islands and Teleria Wests. uh, And it's. Yeah. And Teleria West being,
1: you know, being able to find your living end is pretty sweet, honestly.
0: Yeah, or just going and getting an Ancestral Visions if you're playing, uh, you know, a matchup where card, you know, raw cards is important, uh, yeah. and it just is able to play a couple of different game plans. I've been really impressed
1: with the, the games that I've watched out of it, for sure. Definitely. And um, I've been playing against it a lot, and yeah, it definitely seems pretty strong. I don't think that the deck can ever beat a Thalia, so your Hemus matchup is really bad, but um, <laughs> I, I can definitely see the merits of, of the deck in general. Yeah. Um, and that's, uh,
0: yeah, like I do like, at, at this exact moment, I do like regular Living End better for two reasons. And one is the ability to sideboard in removal in the form of Shriek Maw and Dead Gone, uh, for problem creatures like Thalia or, you know, I mean, I guess White Eidolon is not a problem, not that big of a problem for the blue Living End deck. But yeah, stuff like Thalia, other disruptive creatures that, that make it really hard. Right, um, having access to Shriekmaw is really nice, and is since Dead I Dawn think
1: the um, the split card
0: that is just
1: like a shock on one side?
0: Yeah, so you get to sideboard in bad shock in Modern, uh, but it's actually pretty decent in yeah. the deck. The right, deck right, is all right. terrible cards. <laughs> and... Yeah, um, and I I also like having access to the fulminator mage beast within package right now because i think we are still in a place where being able to fight against uh tron and valica is important and while cryptic command is a, a decent way of doing that i would kind of rather be on the land disruption plan but maybe it's a little bit of a toss-up i'm not sure uh cryptic command is certainly worse against valica in general so
1: yeah I, I played against that blue deck with that uh, with the through the breach deck and we kind of played this like grindy game where he countered a lot of my threats but then i just had two Primeval titans in the graveyard and yeah. he just you can never, never cast win. living
0: end at that point right
1: exactly yeah. yeah so i was like man i don't know how i'm going to win this game but i don't know how he is either because if he ever <laughs> if he ever resolves a living end then he just right. dies on the spot <laughs> and then and then i guess he just like forgot about it because he like he just like cycled a bunch and then cast his living end and I was like, "All right, uh, eighteen Valka triggers." <laughs> <And> <laughs> yeah. He's like, "Oh yeah," because I got like yep. a Steve, and you know, it was just it was just great. But um, yeah,
0: yep, yep, yep. Um, one one interesting thing, uh, and I'm still the hardest thing for me of any living end deck, uh, whether it's mono blue or whether it's traditional cascade living end. Um, the toughest thing for me is figuring out kind of the sideboard philosophy, and I think. I and everyone else are mostly getting it wrong, Uh, and I am not sure exactly how to get it right. Um, I do like the direction that this uh, mono-blue deck is taking with just, like, buku ley lines in the sideboard. Like, I—and I don't know what's the right thing to do, but I I feel like just the way that the deck functions um, lends itself more towards haymaker sideboard cards that just sort of do their thing on their own— Like Leyline of the Void, and especially Leyline of Sanctity, so that your storm matchup is not zero percent. Yeah. So that's that's one one thing that I'm I'm really trying to figure out is sort of sideboard philosophy in general, because a lot of times sideboarding in cards is just miserable. Because what do you do? You take out cyclers. Now your your deck is so much worse. You take out the cards that do a thing. You only have like ten cards that do a thing. Right. Uh, So it's it's really hard to pick and choose and try to do some sort of interactive stuff um so that's one thing that i'm trying to figure out
1: that's fair that's fair is there anything else that we want to hit in modern in
0: particular oh we were talking about modern i thought this was the living end comedy hour I mean, it can be, but, you know. <laughs> uh, yeah, let's see. The, I, I think I've managed to avoid it for a while, but we finally... It's hard for me to stop talking about Living End once I start talking
1: about Living No, End. dude, I get it. It's yeah. great. I've been talking about humans for the past three months, so, like... Oh, yeah, but you've actually,
0: you've actually won, won tournaments with humans, though, so in the past three months. Well, so. I mean, you came close to winning one with Living End, so, you know. Close. So I'm going to try again this weekend. I'm going to try to win... I actually don't know if this tournament gives money or store credit, but it doesn't matter because if I win $2,000 in a tournament, I'm spending it on modern decks anyways, so.
1: Well, there you go. Perfect.
0: Yeah. It's good that you have a plan. That's definitely my plan. Win the tournament, buy three modern decks. Done.
1: Snapped it off. (laughs) Excellent. (laughs) All right, well I think that I've I think I've covered pretty much everything I wanted to talk about so yeah I I don't have
0: anything burning in my head I mean there's more spoilers but I think that that's okay to miss them because I think we're gonna we're planning on doing a constructed set review coming up
1: yes that should be fun I'm excited to look at the new set I, I'm pretty sure that spoilers come out this weekend I don't know probably want to double check me on that but um, yeah
0: Either way, sh- I think next episode is going to be, you know, even if it comes out a day late or something, sure, I think next sure. episode is going
1: to be the Constructed Set Review. Yeah, which uh, which I, I, I'm I looking forward to. should be good.
0: Get- yeah, definitely. Cool. Yeah, so that's pretty much it. Uh, thank you guys so much for listening. If you want to find us anywhere else, uh, you can find the podcast, you know, mostly me tweeting from at MTG underscore Grandcast. Uh, you can also find Collins at Collins Mullen on Twitter. And you can find his articles on Star City Games. And if you want, you can also find uh, my videos. I'm doing some vlogging about uh, what it's like playing Magic in Europe. So the next one that's coming up is gonna be sort of my prep for uh, this weird multi-format, multi-day, you know, tournament series kind of thing. And just, you know, what's going on with that. Uh, So I'll put a link to that on the Twitter. Uh, But yeah, come check it out, come hang out, watch a video. Uh, I promise, they're real real chill
1: um yeah they are very good i can say that um non-biasedly i think that they're just you know some solid magic content so you should definitely check out his youtube channel
0: yeah doing my best um, cool well good luck to everybody playing in uh scg columbus slightly better luck to collins hey and, uh, <laughs> we'll see you guys next week thanks for listening all right
1: yeah peace out